0: Maura Healey took office as governor last week, and her first official act was to sign an executive order creating a cabinet-level climate office headed by Melissa Hoffer. The order also requires that climate officer will be appointed in every executive office. In so doing, Healey declared there was no time to, to waste because, quote, the climate crisis threatens every aspect of Massachusetts life. On the podcast today, we're talking to two people who take a keen interest in such matters as the chairs of the legislature's Telecommunications, Utilities, and Energy Committee, Representative Jeffrey Roy of Franklin, the House Chair, and Senator Michael Barrett of Lexington, the Senate Chair. Welcome to both of you.
1: Great to be here. Thank you. Good to be here.
0: Representative Roy, let's start with you. Um, How do you expect the state's approach to climate change to change under my Morihyli and sort of how the legislature will interact
1: with her as opposed to Governor Baker. Well, I will say at the outset, I don't expect it to change. Uh, we have been quite aggressive in addressing climate change uh, over the last several years, uh, going back, uh, you know, when the Green Communities Act came uh, came on. Uh, so we've been quite aggressive. I do expect that uh, she's going to raise the bar uh, a bit. And I can tell you there were at least two people who jumped up at uh, some of her remarks in her speech. And I'm I'm talking about my friend, Senator Barrett and myself, uh, because we were excited that she made uh, climate change and these issues a priority. And the appointment of uh, Melissa Hoffer uh, was a, certainly a signal that uh, she's taking this matter Uh, very seriously, and knows that time is of the essence. So uh, very exciting. Uh, I am looking forward to uh, working with a new administration, some new ideas, and some new faces, because it's so important that we uh, address climate change and turn over a a much cleaner world uh, to the next generations. Senator Barrett, how about you?
2: Yeah, I I agree with Jeff. Uh, I do think that there are was a significant amount of cooperation with the Baker people, but we also had serious policy differences. And some of them did relate to the different philosophical foundations of the two major political parties. So you're going to see more synchronicity. You, you are going to see us uh, singing from the same hymn book more often. That's point number one. There's, there's philosophical congruence here. But point number two is that there were some deficiencies in the Baker approach. I did not see Mass. MassDOT, the, the Massachusetts Department of Transportation, really buying into the climate issue in the way that I might have hoped. When you read the Baker iterations of the plan for Massachusetts 2030 on climate, or for 2050, you don't see many fingerprints left by the Executive Office of Transportation or the Executive Office of Housing and Economic Development. So this creation of a climate chief with an explicit mission to range across all the executive branch offices really is significant. And uh, what I'm prepared to see is more buy-in outside the Executive Office of Energy and Environmental Affairs, which has always had the core mission here than I've seen in the past.
0: So one of the things about Uh, her approach in a general philosophical way is, is not very different from what Governor Baker had is, is, which is to electrify as much of the economy, the infrastructure, everything that we can to electrify it, and then make sure that our electrical generation is green, is clean. And so, so that's, uh, that's, um, Baker, and and you folks in the legislature have led the way on that, but it's of late been a bit of a challenge to push projects across the line. Let's say, and so offshore wind. I think the the state's authorized to procure fifty six hundred megawatts of offshore wind over a time over a time period. Uh, Healy has talked about doubling that target. Um, What is that going to mean? Senator, why why don't you go first? What what is that gonna mean for the state to to say she's gonna double that amount?
2: Well, first of all, I I think Jeff and I would welcome the more aggressive goal setting, but it does pose some challenges. Uh, There are several questions that immediately pose themselves. One is, are we gonna be building in the shallow waters of the Atlantic coastal shelf where offshore wind can rest on solid ground below the ocean? Or are we going to be going into the Gulf of Maine where the waters are deeper and where the installations might need to float atop the water? The second issue is, are you going to pioneer in forming true development partnerships with other New England states? And this is where Melissa Hoffer, I think, is going to play a key role. She's going to be our ambassador at large to other states in the union and to Washington D.C. That role hasn't been played in that uh, as strong a manner as it might be. And then the third issue is are you going to create competitive procurements so that you get a little competition going that uh, between and among offshore wind, onshore wind, uh, large-scale solar, large-scale hydro. We probably need all those developers vying against one another for the next uh, 2,400 megawatts, let's say, in order to keep the prices down. I, I like uh, what the Baker people did at the very end and what I suspect the Healy people are interested in and that's a, our moving away from offshore wind only development to a larger environment in which all clean energy competes to do the job for New England consumers and for Massachusetts consumers in particular.
0: Representative, you um, I remember talking to you, I think it was the last last year, uh, about a measure. I think it was put in one of the bills that sort of opened up what Senator Barrett's talking about, a reference to um, this onshore wind project in Maine that the state has now indicated an interest in buying in on that. And at the time, I, I remember talking with you, you said there was also some possibility of buy-in, purchasing of... A, a share of Millstone in Connecticut, the nuclear power plant. Walk me through. I, I, I know we talked about it at that time. Now it seems to be happening a little bit. How's it going from your perspective?
1: Well, look, I was absolutely thrilled that uh, the uh, administration moved forward with that onshore wind project up in Maine. It looked like a great opportunity uh, for both the Commonwealth of Massachusetts and the state of Maine and it was uh, regional cooperation. I will admit at the early discussions, I was a bit concerned and I, in fact, I had a conversation with uh, the Senate president up in Maine and I said, didn't you folks just vote to prohibit a transmission line running down the western part of your state? And uh, how can you tell me and convince me that uh, a transmission line down the eastern side of the state will be uh, well received? no, he made a convincing case. It's different uh, different geography, and uh, there were some uh, much easier ways to transmit along the eastern side. So uh, it, it seems like it's going to work out. They've got some successful bids. Massachusetts uh, is poised to get uh, 40% of that energy. It's a great example of regional cooperation. The area where I was a bit disappointed was that uh, they did not, Uh, go forward with any uh, purchase of the nuclear power, which uh, Millstone has uh, available. Uh, The state of Connecticut did a long-term contract of 10 years at 4.9 cents. And uh, granted, Massachusetts was not going to get that energy at 4.9 cents. But when you compare it to uh, what we're facing right now with uh, natural gas, Uh, uh, It should be competitive, and I would have liked to have uh, seen that uh, as part of that uh, solicitation uh, that the uh, administration done. But, uh, you know, I do uh, agree that we need a menu of options. Uh, What we're trying to do is replace approximately 50 to 60 percent of uh, energy which comes from natural gas today And we need to replace that, and uh, all of these renewable sources uh, are vital for us to um, replace that fossil fuel uh, mix that's in our current energy supply. So I applaud the administration, Um, but uh, as you recall, it was a legislative directive to do that as part of the uh, clean energy and offshore wind bill that we did uh, in August. And uh, we gave them a very tough deadline of December 31 of 2022, and uh, they met it and happy about that. So just to follow up a little bit, the Millstone, did they
0: consider it and reject that idea, as far as you know, or did they even not even take it
1: up? Um, I was told that they considered it. Um, I didn't see any uh, evidence that it had been rejected. I would have liked to have seen uh, something in the letter indicating Uh, what they thought about that as a prospect, uh, or any reason why they didn't include it. Uh, But hopefully, uh, with uh, the next administration, perhaps that issue can be revisited. So, um, Senator, you raised this issue of,
0: well, both of you have about regional uh, procurements, basically, of of clean energy and bringing more types of energy into the process uh, to make it more competitive. Um, help me out, how, how would that work, because uh, uh, would would some private entity or some governmental entity sort of act as a clearinghouse and everybody else would bid in through that, or who would take the lead on, on such efforts?
2: I think as a practical matter, it has to be a vanguard state. Uh, Massachusetts did take the lead with respect to the onshore wind project that Jeff was just referencing. Maine needed a partner. Maine can't consume 1,000 megawatts of electricity generated by offshore windmills in Aristote County up there. It needs a partner in order to make Maine's internal consumption viable. So the Massachusetts decision to take part, which was a legislative initiative, although it was also, uh, no question, urged along strenuously by the Baker folks, that made the entire deal viable even for the host state itself. So when we talk about regional cooperation, we're not requiring all six states to buy in. If New Hampshire wants to continue to lag and almost all these important respects, let it to fall behind. We're talking about states that uh, are determined to clean up the grid. It could be Connecticut, Rhode Island, Vermont, Maine, uh, ideally New Hampshire. And the state of Massachusetts and Melissa Hoffer in particular can take the lead. Now, another Aspect of her job, I assume, is external relationship building with the Biden administration and with the Democrats in Congress. You got a lot of federal money. There's no guarantee that Massachusetts gets its proportional share and ideally a little more. Some of the grants are formula driven, but some are competitive grants. So seeding a shop of grant writers, proposing that Massachusetts really move out ahead is our best guarantee that we can get uh, a generous proportion of that federal money. And that's going to, I assume, be the new climate chiefs uh, within her portfolio of responsibility as well.
0: So um, representative, maybe you can carry this a little bit further. I'm still having my wrapping my head around the state going out and procuring offshore wind. It seems to be having a hard time. We'll get to that in a minute, having a hard time pulling some of these off. Uh, But now if you open it up and say we want to bring various types of energy into the mix so that they're sort of bidding against each other, would this would a state put out a procurement and open it to whoever wants to bid is that the what the thinking is and
1: what do you think. Well it's, uh, you know, I think the main example is a perfect example of how this can work and how it can work successfully. Uh, The folks in Maine reached out to Massachusetts and said, we have this uh, area in northern Maine that uh, is former Timberlands, that's barren land. Uh, It's got very uh, robust wind, and we believe we can create a wind farm, but we can't do it alone. We need uh, cooperation from the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, and what a perfect partnership it can be. Uh, and the letter from DOER, I think, spells out how it can work for both of us. I'll go back to the, uh, the idea of Millstone in Connecticut. The folks uh, from Millstone entered into a long-term contract with the state of Connecticut. Uh, we learned about that, um, actually went down and visited uh, the, the plant itself to see you know, what, what options were available. And, uh, you know, encourage the administration to look into whether or not they can come up with a, a regional uh, procurement from uh, the state of Connecticut and, uh, you know, other opportunities that are out there, I think we need to take advantage of. And I think uh, regional cooperation at, at this level will be helpful for us in the regional cooperation that we are going to need to really uh, rebuild the transmission system uh, throughout ISO New England. Uh, if we can't cooperate as uh, as states, uh, we'll be really behind the eight ball on the myriad of transmission issues that are out there today. So I, I like these uh, approaches, and uh, I think they will be helpful in the long run as we analyze opportunities. I can also point to failures of regional cooperation. And one would be the TCI initiative that, uh, you know, Massachusetts was out front on it. And one by one, other states began to lose interest. And we were left hanging by ourselves. And we had to drop that and uh, getting the hydro from Quebec.
2: Let me just say that uh, we do want the feds uh, helping. Well, and there, there's a role, right, Jeff, for them to play.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, the federal uh, government, that money. Federal Energy
2: Regulatory Commission, FERC, yeah. can do a lot of good in terms of encouraging regionalization. ISO New England, which is a creature of FERC, uh, can do a great deal. Our congressional delegation can help out a lot. So there's a, w- there's no question that we need the, the feds to come in. But at the same time, Massachusetts can take take point and be in the lead.
0: So let me ask you, uh, you two, about um, offshore wind, uh, because two of our biggest players, um, Avon Grid, which is helping to build Vineyard Wind, the first one, seems to be going okay so far. But their Commonwealth Wind Project, their Connecticut Project, Park City Wind, and Mayfair Wind has two projects as well for for quite a bit of power, are both in trouble because they bid them last year. Uh, and they signed sign deals in May. And now they're saying that the economy has changed so dramatically with hot, rising interest rates, inflation, uh, supply chain difficulties in the war in Ukraine, that they can't finance their, their projects. Mayflower Wind's been a little iffy, uh, but but Commonwealth has been pretty clear. So, And I think this is happening in other states as well. Uh, other states are looking at in future procurements, maybe building in a inflation adjuster um, to sort of deal with these hiccups if, 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 if they occur. Uh, I don't know if that would require legislative action, but I'm wondering if you guys are supportive of that or where you stand.
2: Well, let me let me just say if I could that. Um, and this may be a contrarian position. Uh, the world is a different place. The war in Ukraine could not have been anticipated. The impact on natural gas prices in Europe and uh, the attraction of LNG towards Europe and away from New England, which relies on LNG for winter heating, could not have been entirely anticipated. Supply chain disruptions are real. So on the one hand, you don't wanna let these developers uh, exploit you and cite these recent trends in order to get a better deal. But uh, you also have to acknowledge that some things truly are unprecedented. What I'm interested in is preserving competition for the next round. You only have two companies, uh, their names are Orsted and Ecuador available to bid if you bar or penalize Avon and Mayflower, which is a, uh, largely a, sh- a company driven by Shell Oil. You probably want all four in the mix just to preserve a modicum of competition. So even though you're upset about Mayflower and Avon Grid, uh, you could probably find a way forward that looks something like this. First of all, you might want to impose a money penalty on Avon Grid uh, if it it chooses truly to default and uh, to step back from performing a contract that they've signed. You may want to impose a similar money penalty on Mayflower. That's separate, though, from deciding whether or not to bar them from competing in the next round. You may want to assess points against their bid in the next round. But fundamentally, you want to keep as many of these offshore developers in the race as possible, and uh, Orsted and Equinor by themselves, the two non-defaulting partners potentially for Massachusetts don't comprise enough competitors in and of themselves. So this is an argument for um, making sure that uh, the avant-grids of the world don't go forward without suffering some kind of burden, but keeping them all in the mix. And and I would finally say this, that uh, what I'm talking about is the least objectionable of a series of suboptimal options. We wouldn't ideally have wanted to see default at all. But if we're going to see it, uh, it is sensible to have a new procurement, add the um, megawatts into the mix that are now under the threat of default, put that together with a bid for additional megawatts, because remember, we have a total gold here of 5600 megawatts of offshore wind already authorized by the legislature. We need to put as many of those out for bid or out for rebid as possible, have as many players competing to give us a good price as possible. And somehow we want to mediate between not wanting to give um, the defaulters uh, an easy out, but also recognizing that the world is fundamentally different for all of us and for all businesses and uh, for all enterprises.
0: Representative, how do you respond to the, the problems that they, uh, the offshore wind developers are having right now? And is there a role for the legislature to get involved in any way?
1: Well, well I think, uh, first off, I'm going to say I, I agree wholeheartedly uh, with Senator Barrett that we need... Um, multiple bidders on this, and uh, I'm not in favor of um, banning um, avon Grid from bidding uh, on a future uh, contract. I am concerned that uh, the prospect of, of default is out there. I do understand uh, the nature of the default. I've yet to see the actual numbers. I've been talking to the folks over there to say, hey, you know, show us uh, the actual numbers and how you uh, modeled uh, where you made your bids and how you fell short uh, on uh, that analysis. So I, I want to keep uh, the the conversation going. Uh, you know, we also are in the middle of a transition to a, a new administration, so we wanted to get some feedback from uh, the new players uh, who are in this space. Uh, we all understand fundamentally, and this. I can't emphasize more. We need clean, robust, renewable energy to replace the fossil fuels, and we have set some hard and fast goals to getting there. So it's without question that we need uh, the offshore wind. We don't need uh, companies making promises that they don't, they can't keep, but we do need to get robust renewable energy. So I'm all for moving forward uh, and working with these companies so that we can we can do that and achieve our goal. Uh, again, I agree with Senator Barrett. We are not going to get exploited. Uh, and I think uh, the latest DPU order uh, suggested that they didn't see the data about um, how the bids fell short, and that's why they uh, rejected uh, the motion to dismiss. So there's more conversation to be had But most importantly, we need at least four bidders at the table so we can have competition, so we can get the best price for our consumers on energy moving forward and renewable energy uh, to be emphasized in moving forward.
0: And Representative, just one last thought on that. Um, uh, One of the key things that the House particularly has pushed, but both the Senate and the House is bringing economic development into these bids in a way. And Commonwealth Wind, let's face it, they have put up a lot of effort in terms of securing a, a factory in Somerset and and redoing the Salem uh, waterfront uh, to accommodate offshore wind. Those were pledges that they've made in conjunction with this deal that is now in jeopardy. Are you worried that those could all go away? Uh,
1: uh, uh, of course, it's a concern. Um, but I've uh, also spoken to some of those representatives who are, are prepared to go forward despite uh, the um, you know, the potential default of Avon Grid because they see, uh, for example, the manufacturing facility at Brayton Point. They understand that along the uh, east coast of the United States of America, there are going to be a number of offshore wind projects and they're going to have enough work to do um, over the next 10, 20, 30 years, uh, that it's, it's still a viable uh, operation for them. Uh, the, the port in Salem uh, can service not only the, the Massachusetts projects, but it, it's uh, uniquely positioned to cover any projects that are in the Gulf of Maine. So there's still some viability uh, to those projects. And you know if Avon Grid doesn't proceed with its project, there's going to be another company behind them that will do it. So there's, there's work to be done and uh, these economic development projects, which are, are vital and something that we really wanted as part of a, a package uh, from these, uh, these industries, I think is, is going to remain. And I th- I'm looking forward to seeing uh, new bids coming in Uh, this spring and summer to see if they truly uh, offer additional economic benefits for the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Because, you know, we see this as a huge opportunity, not only to get clean, renewable, robust energy, but we also see it as creating a new industry, as creating jobs, as creating opportunities uh, that Massachusetts is uniquely positioned to provide, and uh, want to keep seeing this growth happen. All right. Well,
0: Representative Jeffrey Roy of Franklin and Senator Michael Barrett of Lexington, thank you very much for joining us today.
1: Thank you so much. It's great to be here.
0: Happy and to, be here. We'll, and to our listeners, we'll see you again next week. Thanks so much.